Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Momentarily, we will be hooking up with Daily Faceoff's Frank Saravalli for the horses in Horse Racing Alberta. Do you want to tell you, you can find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the races. CBA mandated off day today for the uh, Edmonton Oilers. They'll practice tomorrow. Boston played on, uh, what day was that? Saturday. And uh, they'll, uh, they've not... Uh, they won't play again until they play the Oilers Thursday night. Uh, that should be a kicker. Should be a, a real good test for the Edmonton Oilers. Boston's deep. Uh, they don't have Taylor Hall, nor do they have Nick Foligno. Hall, uh, see, Hall had been playing a bit on their third line. He's only playing 16 minutes a game, 16 goals a season. This guy's a former league MVP. Uh, Nick Foligno uh, was plus 18 this year with 10 goals, and he'd at times played fourth line. That's so deep the Bruins are. We've been playing Bergeron with Marchand and Jake DeBrusque, who's got 19 goals a season, had 27 and 25 goal campaigns in the NHL. Krejci and Zaka have been playing with Pasternak. The Bruins have Bergeron and Krejci for a combined $3.5 million this year. It's pretty good. Uh, Bergeron's now 37 years of age, and David Krejci's 36. Of course, McDavid and Drysaddle right in their window, the top two scores in the league, and Connor McDavid is running out of it, running away with it as we speak. You can text us at 780-496-0063. We already got guys thinking about off-season trades. Bob, great off-season trade for the Oilers. Jack Hamill and Connor Yamamoto of Flames for Jacob Markstrom and draft pick. The Oilers retain the difference in dollars for one year. You can't do that. You have to retain the difference in the term. Steve says, Bob, Stuart Skinner is 25 years old. He should be able to handle the workload. Uh, should be able to handle the workload, and, uh, and and he could be a surprise for us in the playoffs. Brendan, do we have uh, Frank on Opal right now? Yeah, we sure do. All right, thanks a lot. Let's head off to the uh, River Cree Resort and Casino Hotlines. One of my favorite segments of the week. We welcome back to the show Frank Saravalli for the horses and horse race in Alberta. Hey, Frank, how you doing? Pretty good, Bob. Uh, question for you. Is Stuart Skinner the best goalie in the Pacific Division? Is Stuart Skinner the best goalie? Well, let's go through it. Uh, Vancouver has Thatcher Demko. He's been injured. At the start of the year, many people thought he was going to be the best goalie. Uh, Markstrom has had a very difficult season, to say the least. this, this, This pains me to say this, Frank. Jack Michaels predicted this in the offseason. It's because the Oilers broke Jacob Markstrom last year in the playoffs. Yes, that is what... They broke him in half. Yeah. Uh, Vegas right now has Jonathan Quick, who, if you run the numbers on Quick over the last four years, uh, those are challenging numbers, to say the least, in L.A. Let's face it, he basically lost not just his number one job, but ultimately the backup job. Vegas is going with Jonathan Quick until Logan. Do you know if Logan Thompson's going to, when's he coming back? Don't know. Okay. Remains to be seen. L.A. Kings uh, now have Jonas Corpusello, who's been all-world in two starts against Edmonton. He's having a good year after two. Yeah, he's having home. a great year. He's finally healthy. I'm still yeah. going to say yes to the answer of my own question. That you Stuart think Skinner, you- as currently constituted right now, is the best goalie in the Pacific. Well, I think that's tweet-worthy. 
Frank Saravelli from Daily Faceoff says Stuart Skinner is the best goaltender in the Pacific Division. Well, doesn't right that now. bode well? I don't right know if that that'll be the case next season or beyond, but at this this exact moment in time, I believe that to be the case. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, you obviously watched the game last night. They needed a performance like that in goal, didn't they? They did, and um, they really needed the win, too. And not just from a standings perspective, but also that's a Buffalo team that's believing. They think that they're going to get in, and they've been playing with all sorts of mojo. They've been scoring almost at will all season long. And to get that type of win, I think, was pretty important because there's going to be nights like that where you don't necessarily have your game and you need a little bit of help from your goalie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the reasons why the Oilers won is they got a goal from their fourth line. When McDavid and Drysaddle are not on the ice right now, Edmonton has 55% of the goals. And this is obviously, Frank, a massive departure over the last three seasons here at Edmonton, where the team was minus 29, minus 23, minus 22 in goals four. They're now plus 11 this season. I was saying that at one point they were plus 14 or plus 15 before they got touched up. Uh, I mean, Frank, as you know, Edmonton played 10 games, scored 45 goals, four, and only won four of those games. Uh, some of that just is, is pure numbers and Jack Campbell mm-hmm. and they got to get him straight around. But is this an illustration that Ken Holland has built a better team based on the productivity of Edmonton's bottom six when the big boys aren't on the ice? Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is even at varying points this season, you were kind of hoping for more from their bottom six, you know, and it's changed a lot. Like, it, it has been shuffled a bit and, um, you know, there were too many one-dimensional players, too many guys that were too similar. And I think everyone's kind of grown a little bit as the year has gone on. It was such an easy knock. The, the Oilers were such an easy target for the last six, seven years that when 97 and 29 are on the ice, they're the best team in the league. And when they're on the bench, they're really in the bottom you know, five of the league. And that hasn't been the case, to your point, and the, the stat that you just threw out there. But it's also just been that this season, like I, I still don't think as, as impressive as, and as incredible as it's been, I, I still don't think McDavid is getting the love that he should <laughs> for, or for the year. Like, really, like, these numbers are so jaw-dropping I don't know that we were able to fully appreciate them in the moment. Yeah. We've run out of things to say. Well, it's funny because last night, Derek Ryan, he's like, well, we all know he's a great player. But what I didn't know, what people don't know is, you know, how great of a leader. And that's not a guy like we've seen, like Derek Ryan had some pretty pointed comments when Dave Tippett was relieved of his duties about needing to play more players, which I was a little bit surprised at, to be frank with you. Because Derek doesn't come across as, uh, you know, you know how it is with some players that are, you wouldn't know. Like, he wouldn't say, you know, what if his mouth was full of it. It was interesting. All right. Uh, NHL trade deadline has come and passed. What were your biggest takeaways from it, Frank? Well, there's there's a lot in the way the market shifted. There's certainly something to think about with 13 first-round picks being on the move. Um it, this was one of the weirdest trade deadlines in the sense that 
typically the market shifts and the teams that get out in front of it, uh, they end up, you know, being in a really good spot. In this case, I think the way that it unfolded, there was such volume and so many significant players that moved that by the time we got to Friday, it wasn't that there weren't players left that were available. It's just that the two questions that popped up were one, are there impact players left? And the answer was no, that the stop, the, the shelves were, were barren and two, and perhaps more importantly, the teams that would typically be in the mix had all done all their shopping already. And there was really no room left on those teams, either from yeah. a cap asset or pure roster basis to try and add a player. And it's why you see someone like a James Van Riemsdyk not being traded at the end of the day. They, teams that got out in front of the market did really well this year. Frank, for me, it started when word got out that Jonathan Taze wasn't going to continue to play. Because I think there were some teams looking at him as a potential 2C or 3C, right? Like, would Colorado have it? And then suddenly, I'm almost going to take the Tarasenko trade to the Rangers out of the mix. Because I think that was a relatively easy trade to make. Um, you know, Russian players have had success playing in New York. They like it there. They're comfortable there. So you're there. saying there was a run on players on, on, was it wingers? Is it forwards that took place after Taves? I, I, I believe that, like, the Leafs got everything going. That's what I believe. On that Friday night, the Oilers played the Rangers, and Tarasenko and Mikola were in the lineup. And the Oilers were playing a man short, and Holloway, who was part of their comeback in New York City, was down on the farm. And the Rangers had beefed up a bit, and they came back against Edmonton in that game. And then, boom, during that game, we found out that O'Reilly and Ochari went to St. Louis and made their second big trade. And I think at that point, teams got busy. I think the Oilers got busy after that. Well, it took another week. Another it took week. another week to execute, but I think that the activity yeah. and flurry of calls that began to take place really heated up in a big way, not just for Edmonton, but for so many other teams. Yeah. They're saying, we can't be in a position where at the end of this, we're, we're holding a bag and we don't have the guy that we wanted or someone that's going to impact our team. Frank, the time was now. Let's get going. I, and I understand that. You, you said it on Sportsnet. I understand from an Oilers perspective, I had been saying for two, three, four months, this is the biggest trade deadline, the most consequential trade deadline in Edmonton Oilers franchise history. And it's easy to say that because people would say, well, what about the 80s? The trade deadline wasn't a big deal then. It wasn't yeah. anywhere near the same thing in terms of business being done. And this team needed a boost I'm not sure in the end, like, I, and I know the early returns have been good. I tend to take a, a much more long-term view. I think there was significant risk in, in the trade to bring in Matthias Ekholm with the pieces that were changed out. But if that is what this management group felt was the better stylistic fit, it's hard to argue against for a team that we've been saying for a while now needs to defend better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny, Frank. I think back to the 2006 draft or uh, trade deadline. Were you at Penn State at that time or were you already right in Philadelphia at that point? Uh, 2006, I was at Penn State. 
Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I was working at that point at the other station, and I'll be the first to admit, I did not see when Kevin Lowell went out. Like, I think Mac T. Mac T in 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 2001 2002 the Oilers had the second best defensive team in the NHL they missed the playoffs. The 0304 team had very good advanced analytics when nobody did analytics. Anybody that watched the team in 0506 uh, you know, you do your your thing with Jason Greger, and he he used to have Mike Morrison on. They used to bring him him in as a third string goalie to do the shootouts that year. As we came out of the 0405 lockout, we all knew watching the Oilers that season that they were a goalie away. And Kevin Lowe went out and got Dwayne Rollison. Uh, he also got Samson off. He also got Spashik and Turnstrom, and they were supposed to get McCammon, but the facts, uh, it didn't go through in the facts, so they ended up picking Rem Murray, which just tells you everything you need to know right there. The facts didn't go through. Um, but I, you know, I thought Kevin did really good work. I didn't see the team going to the Stanley Cup final. I did think they could beat Detroit, as you know. Me and Robin Brownlee were the only two guys in town that picked the Oilers to beat Detroit that year. I just thought it was a bad stylistic. I guess what I'm saying to you, that's been the most impactful trade deadline for the Oilers in a long time. Now, they were out of it for a bunch of those years, and they were dumping players. I do think the stylistic fit makes a lot of sense for Ekholm. Would you have preferred getting Chikrin? Well, when you compare the price paid, I think it's an it's an interesting and intriguing question to ask. And I would say that, I, you know, I would argue from a stylistic fit, and, and I want to be really consistent when I say this, that I've never, I never really saw Chikrin as the fit based on what he is on the power play. He's a shot threat. And I just, I didn't think that this Oiler team needed that, you know, in, in injecting that into the way they use their power play. But defensively, I think, you know, he doesn't do a lot in terms of making plays. He's not like a big play killer or, you know, a puck moving defenseman, but Chikrin is definitely more mobile than Ekholm. And I think that's a real consideration. I mean, let's be fair. The price paid for Matthias Ekholm was significant. A first Reed Schaefer and, and also, um, Tyson Barry, like it's that's a lot. It really is. And so when I say risk, I think it's more about what does Matthias Ekholm look like 18 months from now. But if you're Ken Holland and if you're the Oilers and you're thinking about this playoff run and capitalizing on Connor McDavid being at the absolute height of his powers and a guy that averaged north of two points per game last year in the playoffs, you say, I don't really care about what the 18 months from now looks like. I want to win a Stanley Cup this spring. I mean, 18 months from now, Philip Roberg might be supplanting Matthias Ekholm in the second pairing. I mean, that's the realistic well, that, perspective. That's going to be problematic for the Oilers paying Matthias Ekholm $6 million bucks a year. All right. Uh, fair enough. I do like that. I mean, it's, you know, there are teams. Here's, here's, the Oilers play Boston next. They've done it differently than Edmonton, haven't mm -hmm. they? Well, they've done it differently because they've traded all their picks. Like, let's look at the last two deadlines for the Boston Bruins. Three first-round picks, three second-round picks, and a third, a fourth, and a fifth. And the players that they bring in, Lindholm, they shed salary along the way. They add Dmitry Bobby Orlov, who's been an insane fit to this point. 
since his addition from the Washington Capitals, Garnet Hathaway, Tyler Bertuzzi, a lot of really impactful players, but they've given up a lot of draft capital. And, and I know Bruins fans would be listening to this snickering saying, yeah, good. Uh, Don Sweeney, his, his biggest issue in his tenure has been his draft and development because they haven't made a lot of very good draft picks. And you think back to the year that they had three in a row, they, they missed more than they hit. And that was really problematic for that team for a long time. The amazing part about Boston and what they've been able to do is they're pretty well positioned for right now. And I know everyone's saying, well, what's going to happen if David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron end up leaving? Well, guess what? David Pasternak just signed for a deal at, I think, at 11 and a quarter million is, is below market value, given what he's provided. And you have Lamp, Lindholm and McAvoy and Marshan. Like, that team, they're not, they're not going anywhere for a while. So that window remains firmly open even after the season in which you've loaded up. I'll take it one step further. They got hauled the year before at the deadline and then signed him to it. Like, say what you want about Tate. T- and we have lots of people that don't think Taylor's as good as he is. The guy won an MVP, and they got him at four years at $6 million. Like they, well, So they found a to way. Think to think about how deep their team is that he was playing on the third line for a pretty big chunk of this season gives you an indication of how deep their lineup is. Yeah, absolutely. It just shows you that you can do it different ways, right? I mean, it had been a while since Ken Holland had made a what I would consider a blockbuster move at the deadline. A long time. I mean, you, like I, I really did a deep dive on his on his trade history, and so did uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman and others in the Athletic. Like it, it's really it's gone back kind of since 2008 was the last real significant trade that Ken Holland made at the deadline, bringing in Brad Stewart. And other than that, it's mostly been for little pieces here or there. And I think the argument has been, well, look at the teams that have won the Cup. It's not always the biggest name that right. ends up moving that makes the biggest impact. Well, some might say you look at Boston getting Bergeron and Krejci for $3.5 million combined has allowed them to, to make all these additions and put yeah, them in the position. I think that's unfair. Yeah. First off, those, te- those players were never considering other teams. And second, right. they really only came back because they got a new coach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and fortunately for Jake DeBrusque in the process, uh, who's a, a good player who's going to score 25 goals for the third time in his career. All right, so uh, you, you you don't necessarily 100% love the Oilers deal. I like the combination of the Oilers' two moves. I do think that Ekholm's the right guy for Edmonton right here and right now. Um, and I wanted to see something bold, and they did something. You know the old saying, fortune favors the bold. I want to ask you, you about You called teams. for it, and they did it. What's that? You called for it, and they did it. Yes. And, Phil- yeah. Well, I was going to say now. And Detroit. What hold the on a second. hell were those I two see, teams? I want to see some more from Nick Bugstad. Like, let's, let's get some compete in this guy, and let's see some consistency. Because there's something there in that body and that frame, but he hasn't yeah. really been able to put it together for a long stretch. And maybe playing with these guys on a really talented forward lineup can give you something a little different. Frank, in 40 seconds or less, give me a rip on Philly and on Detroit. 
Well, in Philly, like, look, they've they're in a tough spot. They they didn't move James Van Riemsdyk. This market is up in arms. I think they needed to get out in front of it ten days before the deadline and move James Van Riemsdyk when we were just talking about all of those pieces that ended up flying off the board. And in Detroit, well, uh, you see a definitive statement from Steve Eiserman. This team this year, as much as their goal is to play meaningful games in March, trading Bertuzzi, trading Philip Ronick, um, they they sold off in a big way. And Steve Eiserman, I love that he just courage of conviction. This is the way I see it. We're not gonna hem and haul here in the NHL's murky middle. We're gonna get as many assets as we can, and then let's see what we do with them. Great stuff, Frank. Thanks for your time. See you, Bob. For daily face-off and the horses and horse racing in Alberta, find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the races. That's Frank Saravalli. Into the Oilers Injury Report, brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Evander Kane, uh, Ken Holland saying last week, uh, could potentially play on this trip. We'll see. Uh, the team will practice tomorrow. Might have an, an idea of where we're at, where he's slotted line-wise. Uh, Ryan Murray, no imminent return from a back injury. We are going to head off into a global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson. 12.56 in Edmonton. We'll come back with Oilers assistant GM Brad Holland when we return on Oilers Now.